SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And welcome back to another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Podcast, AAC edition. My name is Dan Morrison. That's Emily Van Buskirk. How are you doing today, Emily? Doing great. How are you? I'm all over the place right now, <laughs> to be honest. I've like juggling like five different things the past couple of days. And that's why we're actually recording pretty late this week for ourselves. It's, it's my fault. We didn't <laughs> get recap, yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's both of us have stuff going on, but I thought you'd be feeling pretty good given, you know, the Dylan Gabriel news you texted me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's Tuesday now that we're recording this since like Tuesday afternoon, kind of late for the recap, which like I said, <laughs> kind of my fault that's that late, but it's okay. Uh, no yeah, Dylan Gabriel's back at practice. I'm really excited for that. I don't think he, plays this week against UConn because why would he play against UConn but like (laughs) somebody asked me that on radio today this morning they were like why do these American teams like Houston and UCF play UConn like what is that and I'm guessing no first off the civil conflict is a great great rivalry Uh, second off that's actually a little bit more UConn had a lot of games to fill very quickly going independent and UCF has struggled to fill out of conference games because that uh, only home and homes thing that Danny White beat his chest about for years. And that led to basically UCF having no, actually back, this is going back to the offseason. I did basically uh, looking ahead at out of conference schedules for everyone in the American. If you go back far enough into the underdog Nazi archives, you can find it. I'm not going to go look for it, but UCF <laughs> had like, 10 less games than anyone else on the schedule. And that's largely because that home and home only thing, which obviously with a new athletic director and they're not doing that anymore. They just signed the two for one with Florida and they're much, you know, looser about that. But for the immediate pressing stuff, when everyone's already got booked up, UCF needs to fill in games and UConn was an easy one to fill in a game with. It's actually a pay game. UCF's paying UConn like at least six figures might be seven for this game. Wow. Yep. Uh, I'd have to like look. Well, that clears that there. up for everybody. Yeah. For at least UCF. <laughs> I don't know about the Houston side of it as much, but I know the UCF pretty well as far as that. Plus, the civil conflict game is everyone's favorite uh, rivalry. Well, tell me about the name. I don't. What, where does that come from? Uh, do you know Bob Diaco? I, not personally, no. Okay, so he was very briefly the UConn head coach, and he, uh, you know, I think he's a nice guy, but he failed. This is the simplest way to put it. You know what I mean? Okay. And, he, and he knows that he's owned that. But, like, one of the things he did when he was the head coach at UConn was he said, we are kind of isolated in the Northeast. We don't have any traditional rivals in this conference. There's a lot of, like, little knocks to it compared to, like, the old Big East where they played Syracuse and Rutgers and Pitt. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. he, said, he said, I want to create a rivalry. And he announced it would be with UCF because at the time UCF had won the conference two years in a row. That was after the 2014 season. Uh, he said, they're the top dog in the conference. We want to model ourselves after the top dog. Of course, UCF then went into a winless season in 2015. So there you have it. <laughs> but like, uh, <laughs> anyways, he announced it would be with UCF and he never consulted UCF about it. He just sort of said, I'm doing this. He made a trophy himself, the Civil Conflict Trophy. The name Civil Conflict comes from Civil War because it's a North-South thing. And the word conflict was used specifically because you can capitalize the F and the L for Florida and the C and the T for Connecticut. 
Oh, okay. I like that. Yep. So that's where it came from. UCF was never consulted and never recognized it as a rivalry. Uh, UConn ended up winning the first two years of it, though, because UCF, like I said, went winless then six and six in the regular season. Scott Frost's first year. So UConn had a two nothing series lead in the civil conflict. And then, uh, or was it? hmm, I might have that wrong. Oh, sorry. It was started during the 2014 season. I was okay. a year ahead, but I went to that 2014 season game just because I was a senior in high school and wanted to go to the game that was near me. And it was like miserable rain and UCF got upset by UConn in that game. Then they went winless. I was a year ahead of myself. They beat them in 2016. Anyways, uh, eventually. You were the only person I know that can like correct yourself when you're wrong. <laughs> That's incredible. I, I was a year ahead. I, I'll admit that I own that. I'm No, but I mean like you're the only person I know that could be wrong, but then correct themselves and get it right (laughs) it's an incredible skill dan i was at the game it was absolutely miserable it was like 40 degrees driving rain it was terrible um but anyways so eventually ucf obviously started winning it but because they didn't recognize Mm -hmm. that they never took the trophy with them and eventually bob diaco got fired and the trophy went missing completely and no one knows where it is now. It's kind of oh, a little intrigue. Okay. And anyways, after that, it kind of became a running joke. You know, but you know, well, it's, a fun, it's a fun running joke. That's there's all. your history lesson, guys, that's, for the day. <laughs> yeah, that that's the Saturday. So tune into God. I it's probably an ESPN Plus game. I don't know off the top of my head. Probably. <laughs> uh, anyways, we do have to at some point review week eleven yes. in the AAC because. <laughs> I moved past it already, so but we'll, we'll all circle back for you guys, I guess. Exactly. I, <laughs> I'll start with the Friday night game. That was Cincinnati 45, US yes. Uh Cincinnati had three turnovers in this game, two of which were in their first two possessions. And, you know, here's my thing. The Cincinnati defense was pretty good in this game. They got a couple short fields that they gave up points on, and that's not mm-hmm. really on them. And that, you know, but their offense is just not consistent enough, and they're too complacent, especially in the first quarter of games. And then if your offense doesn't play 60 minutes and you're trying to, like, say we deserve to be in the playoff, you just, you're not going to get in as a G5 team. That's what's frustrating about the Cincinnati team. You know? I would like to point to this game as an example of why Cincinnati should not be in the college football playoff. Yeah, because for all the reasons you said and – I, I'm not going to knock you, USF. They're better than people realize. On they fight hard. Better. Yeah. yeah. They've got issues you know, on defense, but. Yeah, of course. And it's building. But I think, like, Jeff Scott has these guys. They, they've bought in. They fight hard every game. You yeah. know, they start the game tied in the first quarter. Then Cincinnati does what Cincinnati does. But then they let them come back in the third. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati cannot put together a complete game to save their life, which is why they don't deserve to be and, in the college football playoff. And I cannot wait to see them play Houston in the championship. Like, that's going to be wild. I think Houston, like I in my power rankings, I do. I put Houston ahead of them simply because I think if they played right now, Houston's the better team and would win. But that's, you know. I, you know, it's a little controversial when you think of it as like, oh, this is a team that we should be rooting for to make the playoff. And I do still believe that any undefeated team should make it in as a just a moral decision to say that they should be in because of that. But you team. can't tell me Same that this is a team like, th- just this is because a philosophical they're undefeated. They're not, they don't deserve to be in because well, they can't play a, f- a full football game. This is a philosophical thing for me, though. It's, I believe any unbeaten team should make it to the playoff if you're going to have but a see, playoff. That, that causes problems. I, I understand. 
I understand. Socialism, man. No, I think if we're saying everyone here is an FBS team and we're going to have an FBS playoff, going undefeated needs to mean something. I understand strength of schedule, and I understand that their offense hasn't put together 60 minutes. Well, I mean, did Oregon look like a 60-minute team against Washington State, who is out a head coach? No. You know, has Alabama looked like a 60-minute team at all this season, like when they lost a and No. I know that they're the more talented team just because mm-hmm. of their depth and everything. I recognize that I'm not going to argue that Ohio State isn't a roster with more guys technically talented than Cincinnati. I'm just not – I just believe philosophically that undefeated does mean something and should mean something. I believe that, you know – going back to, you know, at least 2017 UCF and before, you know, back to even the BCS days when you had, you know, Boise State teams going undefeated. I know you hate the blue turf, but they deserve to be in a championship game at some point. You know what I mean? I think that if you're undefeated and deserving, meaning that you can put together a decent game against opponents that you should be blown. Like if you put Alabama against USF, do you think that that's going to come up with the same result? That, that, they're, they're playing with, soon and out of conference. So we'll, we'll tell. We will <laughs> find out, but Not I'm just this saying, year, like, but like I, no, do, I know what I, you're saying, but like, yeah. like I said, this is much more philosophical for me than yeah. practical. You know what I mean? It's the same yeah. thing. Like when Western Michigan went unbeaten, I believe I know that they would have gotten blown out in that semifinal game, but I believe they had a, they should have been in it still, you know. And that's what I'm getting. I also, like I said, right now I don't think Cincinnati finishes this season unbeaten, so it's a moot point. Yeah, I think Houston that's fair. In the championship game right now, unless I yeah. see otherwise. So that's a completely different argument. But like, uh, you know, the playoff thing's just it's getting to me with Cincinnati because they're the least deserving <laughs> AAC team that's been unbeaten to make the playoff. And they're getting yeah. more credit than any of the others have, which frustrates me on so many levels, you know, but it's their fans thing. are going to hate this conversation, but that's fine. They but need like, to hear the it. Thing, the thing is, if you want to be a playoff team, Desmond Ritter needs to not throw, you know, two interceptions yeah. against there was two interceptions. There was an interception, two fumbles. Uh, you can't turn the Either ball way. over three times on offense against USF. Uh, yeah. I do want to give USF, um, like I said, the offense, a lot of credit. You know, Timmy McLean, Jimmy Horn, that's a really great connection that's going to be there yeah, for a while. Those are both freshmen. Brian Batty's apparently been playing this season with a, like, a chip bonus foot or something like that, and he's been good, especially on special teams. Uh, you know, that's an offense that's going to have a lot of firepower for the next three, four years at the very least, especially if Jeff Scott does stay around. But, you know, yeah. we know how coaches jump up and down. If he proves he can turn that ship around, he's going to get offers. Uh, I'm excited awesome. for for the future of Timmy McLean. Like, I, that's going to be something to watch. I, think. I, I am, too. Uh, they do need to figure out what's going on on the defense. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. That's, that's a mess right now. That's not showing the same types of improvements and growth. But uh, absolutely. Is there anything else you want to finish up on? Since these defense is still insanely talented, we all know that they're loaded with NFL talent on that side of the ball. They're not the issue. It's the special teams. That kicking situation is not perfect. And it's the yeah. offense's inability to play a full game. You know? Yeah. And that's that's what I was talking about this morning is my last thing I'll say about Cincinnati is I think the, where Houston has that edge is in the special teams. Like their special teams is just better and I honestly am going to say this. I like Clayton Tune as a complete quarterback more than I like Desmond Ritter. And I'm I'm yeah, sorry no, for it, but that's what it, it is. Was, yeah, going back to the old uh, the old co-host Joe Broback there, he yeah. did his like 
I forget what it was exactly, but he rated two quarterbacks as elite in the American over the offseason. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, who, correct, huh? he's elite, best quarterback in the conference, was collarbone isn't broken. But that's <laughs> okay. a fact. You know, and uh, Desmond Ritter, he rated as elite. I kind of told him I would have Mordecai ahead of him based on potential, which I know isn't maybe fair. Didn't, but like, yeah. And, and obviously now I, we can tell I was right. But, you know. Well, Mordecai is good, but but not without flaw as well. And I yeah, think that but he, he's worth more. My my issue is I didn't think that Ritter at the time was elite, and I still don't think he's elite. This is a yeah. guy who last season nearly got benched at the start of the year because he's yeah, you know, he's not a really good pocket passer. He's really great at running the RPO, and he's great when he gets outside. But if yeah. you keep him in the pocket and make him read a defense or throw downfield, he struggles, and that's an issue. Because yeah. it's going to happen against better competition. Uh, yeah, I, anyways, I agree with yeah. you. So it's like Cincinnati wins, but but did they really at the end of the well, day in that thing, game? They, they didn't cover the spread, and that's what the biggest thing is. It was like yeah. a 23-point spread, and they needed to cover that. Just like assure people, especially nationally, that, hey, they're taking care of business the way they're supposed to. And they just – they're not doing that for – again, yeah. it, it is what it is. Let's talk about something a little bit happier, at least okay. in my opinion. ECU 30, Memphis 29. The Pirates are going bowling for the first time since 2014. Uh, I am really, really happy for ECU. I don't know. I, I know you are too. Yeah. I mean, I just want to throw back to what 2014 looked like at East Carolina. Their offensive coordinator mm-hmm. that year, do you know who it was? No, I don't. Lincoln Riley. No way. Yep. Lincoln Riley, Ruffin McNeil, that's back when that combination was there. Uh, Obviously, they fired Ruffin McNeil after 2015, I want to say it was, uh, after Mm -hmm. a disappointing season. They said, at the time, they were saying, look, we're pretty good, but we want to get to the top of the conference instead of just being pretty good and making a bowl every year. It backfired. Scotty Montgomery was not equipped to be a head coach in the American roster talent. He couldn't recruit to the conference. He couldn't. You know, he just got it all wrong. And yeah. then he set that program back. Mike Houston's been doing a little bit of a slow build to fix it. And I, I'm fine with the slow build. I've talked about that before. You need to build a base before you can, you know, build a house, you know. <laughs> Foundation before Well, it's true. Like, look yes. at Jake Spavadol at Texas State where he's trying to, like, fix everything with 100 transfers every year. It doesn't work, you know. I love Spav. And he, I think. But he rolled the dice and he's. And he, he did. He surrounded himself. He did the right thing in that he surrounded himself with really great coaches. I mean, Jacob Peeler is one of my favorite people. Great coach. Um, Brian Hamilton at the tight ends. Really good guys. But you're right. He he tried. And, and I'm all for utilizing the portal to a degree. Using JUCO transfers. Like, they're important. But, but like you can't live and die by yeah. it. Like, yeah, 100% just is just not yeah. the way to do it. No. Because it sucks. Yeah. It I'm does. about to see Texas State this weekend when I go to Coastal, so I'm excited yeah. to check them out. It will be, that'll be good. Coastal's got to yeah. win this week, though, for you. Yeah, they do. They, I, mean, I wonder if Gracie McCall's coming back. I haven't heard anything yet about it. But. I, I heard last week that they're hopeful, but that's all yeah. I heard. Yeah. That's going to be the pivotal thing, honestly, because they struggle yeah. without him. I mean, yeah, obviously. 
Yeah, they do. He runs the offense for. Uh, that's very sidetracked, though. Sorry. Yep. <laughs> no worries. My, my, I just, my forte. No worries. I, I didn't want. I just didn't want to get too deep into the Coastal Carolina hole when we're talking about. No, you're fine about ECU. Yeah, that would be kind of disrespectful. <laughs> that's all. But yeah, no. Uh, Shane Card and Justin Hardy. Those are the types of players that were there last time. This team in the bowl. Mm-hmm. So shout out to them. Mike Houston. I think you saw. You definitely saw the post game interview. He was crying and hugging. Holy yeah. and was like, yes, it was so oh, heartwarming. <laughs> On top of that, it was also a really great game. This was an overtime game. It's one that, you know, Memphis is still doing things where I say they're flashing a lot of talent, you know? Yeah. I think Seth Hennigan looks like a really good quarterback of the future for them, but they don't have enough of a running game to balance it out right now, and that's really bothering me with them. You know, Ehler still wasn't quite consistent. He had two interceptions in this game, but <laughs> yeah. it was good enough. Uh, yeah, this was kind of a funky stat from the bo- from the box score. Uh, ECU ran 102 plays in this game. Really, 102 plays for 32 wow. first downs. They like double the first downs Memphis did. Interesting. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, and overtime Memphis chose to go for two and didn't get it. That's how we ended up. With yep. the thirty to twenty nine win for ECU, uh, five and five Memphis. Do you? What do you think is it wrong with them? Is it just too much youth, or is it more in the core of the uh, coaching staff? I guess you'd say. I don't. I don't think. I think it's it's youth and it's just figuring it out. I don't. I'm. They're the. They're one of the programs I'm not super worried about just mm-hmm. yet. Like if this happened again, another yeah. year where you're seeing these kind of mistakes and and these games where they don't quite finish out, then I'm starting to maybe wonder if it's, you know, what's really going on. But I give them this year. I think they've done some good. There's been some bad, and and that's just part of the this yeah. year in the conference is I, up and down, you know. I, I tend to agree with you. It's been a lot yeah. of growing pains with a very, very young offense, especially in, mm-hmm. you know, defense has been a thing Memphis has struggled with for as long as I can remember. So, yeah, you know, I'm not surprised they still are. You know, it takes time to fix that kind of thing. I know that uh, a lot of their fans are a little bit restless with Silverfield, though, after, you know, because they went from Fuente to Norvell, and it was just a little bit of a higher level consistently before this, you know? Yeah, So that's that, fair. That, it leads to a little restless leg syndrome, that's all, you know? They'll, they'll uh, sort it out. It'll be all right. But I did pick ECU in this game, so. Yeah, you got that. I didn't. I thought Memphis <laughs> at the Liberty Bowl would win. Uh, I should have been right, but, you know, oh, speaking of Fuente, by the way, He's gone. Uh-huh. He's gone. He's gone. He's gone. There's like been so three long. Coach- okay. Since last time I we recorded, there's been like three or four coaches fired. It's true. And this one, though, to me is interesting because if they wait one month, they save $1.25 million. Yeah, they negotiated wow. down the buyout from $10 million to like $8.25. But if they waited a month, it would have been like. 7.5 or something like that. I don't yeah. know if I've got those and numbers exactly right. It's close. That's close. That's I, close enough. I, here's what I think happened. I think they looked <laughs> around at the landscape of college football and said USC is open, LSU is open, Washington just opened up. We need PC to be open. open. Florida yeah. might open. You know, list, like Miami might open. Like a lot of jobs there are better than Virginia Tech are open. We yeah. need to get open and find a coach before those do. That's so interesting because that's, well, I hope it's going to be worth that insane amount of money. And we we talked about this point this morning when I I went and did radio about having that kind of money in this post-pandemic era to just make decisions like that is incredible. And we're seeing a lot of schools just burn through buyouts. It's wild. I think a lot of teams held on to a coach a year longer than they would have last year, as it were. So this is going to be a massive coaching carousel. 
just between the yeah. coaches fired and the coaches hired from one school to another, you know, and I hate to say this, but like, wouldn't Mike Houston make a ton of sense for Virginia Tech? Oof, I don't foresee that, especially in my conversations with him. He he wants to, he doesn't generally leave programs until he's fully rebuilt them. So I don't okay. see him moving just yet, but I, I, I guess you really never know. I, like, yeah. hand, hand to God, I want to stay at ECU, but he's I know. got experience in Virginia where he was very successful with James Madison. You know, he's yeah. proven he can build a program at the FBS level now too. I know he's not built it to like conference championship level just yet, but he's clearly turned it around. You know, yeah. I'm just it would make sense. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, let's move on to Houston 37, Temple 8. Uh, Temple, oh. once again, didn't score any points until the fourth <laughs> quarter. They got a touchdown. 24-0 when they scored. They went for two, make it 24-8, technically a three-score game. Uh, Houston yeah. added on some points. Marcus Jones had that interception on a trick play. I don't. Marcus have Jones, man, he's the dude this year. I'm so happy for him. Yeah, he's going to be exactly. like conference defensive player and special teams yeah. player. <laughs> and special teams player. He, does. he reminds me a little bit of um, – this can be a kind of a weird comparison, but he reminds me of Miles Jack when Miles Jack was at UCLA. And he wasn't necessarily special teams, although he does do that. But he was offensive and defensive player of many games because he just could do everything. And that's kind of what Marcus Jones reminds me of a little bit. He, If I want to go to a little bit older options, he kind of reminds <laughs> you of Desmond Howard, doesn't he? Yeah, for sure. I can or see that. like a defensive version of Rocket Ishmael from Notre Dame back in the Lou Holtz era. <laughs> wow. Okay. He, that's I know that's a throwback, and he was a slot Throw receiver. Throwing a wave, yeah. He was, he was a slot receiver, but they do like a lot of that explosiveness, athlete who can play anywhere, great returner kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, no, I see it for sure. That's it's, it, it's he's a, a, very he's a dude. I, know. Uh, I don't have much more to say other than I was surprised Houston didn't score more, for, more first half points than they did. I know that's that about is... all I have to say about this game. They dominated. Uh, they did what yeah. they were supposed to. Now they've got Memphis and UConn left on their schedule. Uh, first team to clinch yep. a spot in the AAC championship game. Uh, technically still alive for the AAC championship are SMU, Cincinnati, and ECU. Did you know that? Yeah. ECU's still technically alive. If I uh, did. Yeah, I saw that the other day. I think what they Crazy. need is SMU to beat Cincinnati, then lose to Tulsa. While ECU which I wins out, which would mean Cincinnati loses out. I would see SMU beating or losing to Tulsa. I don't foresee them beating Cincinnati. <laughs> this wasn't SMU. I, they, they, you know what it was? SMU reminds me of in the Fast and the Furious movies when they hit the Nas too soon. That's just what <laughs> they did. And then, then, then they lose the race. So, Well, you never know. They, you know. They could I know. turn it around. They're not. But no. I, I don't think they'll. Yeah. I, I think yeah. they're too inconsistent. <laughs> I think they have yeah. too much trouble in big SMU is one of those teams. We'll talk about them, I'm sure, in a second. But, like, when SMU plays in a really uh, big game, it always just feels like they get in their head about it and just crumble yeah. immediately under the pressure of it being a big game. And that stinks. Uh, you know, Speaking of SMU, UCF 95, Miami 89, the only UCF game you needed to watch on Saturday, men's basketball. Uh, you know, normally you expect the men's basketball team for UCF to be a little bit more defensive, but this was a great win. Uh, we're not talking about the football game, though. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, UCF 28, SMU 55. For about a quarter, it looked like it was going to be the most exciting game of the year, and then UCF didn't hold up its <laughs> end of the bargain in the second quarter. Offense went three yeah. and out a few times in a row, and the defense was absolutely exhausted trying to keep up with SMU's, you know, no uh, no huddle, hurry up offense. 
Uh, yeah. The tackling fell apart pretty quickly once they got tired. The secondary couldn't keep up with more experienced receivers. And SMU poured it on early. And by yeah. halftime, you were, it was over. Uh, Do you think that that game goes differently if it's at UCF? A little bit, but not much, to okay. be honest. I, I think it goes different. I think it goes differently if Mikey Keene's a sophomore. Dylan Gabriel's playing though. This Keene. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, uh, you know, it's because it what to me what really happened was the SMU defense in the second quarter got a couple three and outs in a row. You know, UCF didn't have Isaiah Bowser to be an every down back, and they kind of did. It just they didn't quite have the ability to run and SMU's front seven, which meant Keene had to throw into the secondary. And I liked a lot of what they were letting him do throw downfield, and that was pretty effective. Except he wasn't getting quite enough blocking, and when pressure came, Keene would fall backwards and hold on to the ball too long, and yeah. just make those little freshman in the pocket mistakes where he wasn't comfortable. And then you would turn around and Mordecai was taking blitzes from UCF. And I mean, nickel blitzes, uh, Justin Hodges, the UCF nickel corner, got to him like three times, wrapped him up like three times and didn't get him to the yeah. ground three times. It was, you know, incredible how well Mordecai moved in the pocket, dodging blitzers, dodging defensive linemen. And Mordecai managed to move forward into the pocket, up into it to make a play either with his legs or throwing. Keen fell backwards and lost himself a lot of the time. And that was really to me, the difference in the game was one quarterback could handle that pressure and one quarterback couldn't. And that's an experience thing. And it really is why, why is UCF six and four in the season? Well, you know, a tough bounce against Louisville led to that. Let's face yeah. it. Tough bounce. You know what I mean? Sorry about that. I know Gabriel broke his collarbone on a fluke play. And then, yeah. you know, you lose to Navy. And now but, okay. Like, fluke play, but the do lateral you think is a there's a play. No, it is. But do you think there's a little bit of responsibility that falls on the fact that maybe, you know, on the, co- I don't know, the coaching, coaching staff has to ensure that he doesn't go for that well, I when think, the play is over like that, he shouldn't mm-hmm. be doing those things. Yeah. I mean, you can't train the competitiveness out of a player like that, but what I would do in that situation you is train him to be smart though. Well, I wouldn't have put him on the field for it. I would have put Joey Gatewood on the field because he's right. basically a running back or tight end anyways, who happens to throw the ball once in a while. That's but, my question. So I have do Gabe, you hold Gus the, responsible a little bit? No, because you can't really foresee that you don't, you don't call plays thinking this guy's going to get injured. You know what I mean? Yeah, I but it's the end of the game. And, and we're like, my, my issue with it is do like, could it have been prevented, you know, in a situation yeah. well, that like it I wasn't said, likely they were going to win. Dylan but... Gabriel's a pretty good runner. So I can see keeping his speed on the field, but like, yeah, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. but Joey Gatewood yeah. to run it instead. But again, I don't hold Gus immediately responsible. Right. No, I mean, it, it's a tough break is what it is. Yeah. They would have beaten Navy, you know, with him healthy. They just wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, they probably still would have lost to Cincinnati because the defense had no answer that day against uh, Jordan yeah. Ford. It just, you know, Jerome prob- Ford. probably still would have lost that game. This game, I don't know. You know, I mean, if UCF yeah. is holding onto the ball longer and scores a couple times in the second quarter and SMU, you know, that probably takes a score or two off the board for them in the second quarter. It's a different game entirely. But, it is. but that's again we talked about this this is reimagining history the fact is gabriel was out and what happened happened uh it another did. big injury to ucf linebacker uh bryson armstrong out for the earth and acl uh that's you know just another key player for ucf they just can't catch a break do you yeah. think it has anything to do with strength training or you think it's just unlucky 
this little column a little column b it's hard to say broken bones yeah. you can never blame them on strength training acls and stuff of course you wonder a little bit about nutrition and like what they're doing and it's a completely yeah. new staff remember so it could be something yeah new about these players that's just like is it an adjustment phase is it this or that i i'm not qualified to speak to that though you yeah I mean? but you have I, to wonder it's definitely a question that has to if, be asked if I this feel. is an issue next year too then you yeah. start. Then you start to ask that question. I think if it's just yeah. this year, then you say, sometimes teams just make bet and you move on. So yeah. it was a tough luck year. Uh, but I mean, even Gus is injured right now. He's got. I know, like, that's what I'm saying. Is like they need know, to get his, in the gym and start doing some prevention. Like, I mean, did you see the platform he was on? Uh, yeah, you sent me that. I, I, at it's one funny point, because at one point he stood up and he's like leaning over the platform on his broken, like shouting at the refs. I'm like, Gus, you got to sit down. But the whole point of the things that your legs broken. It makes me wonder if they heard our podcast because my concern for him being on the on the sideline with crutches is that he was going to be a danger to himself and other people, and they literally found a solution it's for like that. The, uh, the Booger so I was like, thing. Yeah, I was like, wow, this is actually I never, and I don't know like what the statistics are on coaches coaching from platforms on the sideline, mm-hmm. but I have to imagine there's not many. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I thought that was wild. Yeah. Also, credit to SMU. Uh, Ulysses Bentley, for the first time, basically all year, did not appear to be hurt. Trey Siggers had like his best game of the season. They could run the ball any way they wanted to on UCF. That gave them the balance to throw the ball. And, you know, yeah. that's where that was part of where they UCF figured it out. They, they really they, did. They, they found their balance in offense, and that yeah. was part of what killed the UCF defense. Uh, yeah. You know, tough game for UCF. Really Too good bad. game for SMU. Really great bounce back game for SMU. Uh, UCF, UCF should win out the rest of the regular season. They've got UConn and USF left and then who knows Mm -hmm. what the bowl game holds. You know what I mean? But yeah, you go and say you win out, including the bowl game. That's nine and four in Gus's first year. That's not a bad year. It's not bad at all. Especially given losing your starting quarterback for most of the season Uh, and all the other injuries too, not just Dylan Gabriel, obviously, but he's just the the headline name there. Uh, Universe threw the kitchen sink at Gus Malzahn, and I think he handled it pretty yeah, well. Absolutely. So. You know, SMU, like I said, they're still in a position if they went out where they've got a shot, not a good shot, but a shot at shot, making yeah. the uh, conference championship game. Have to beat Cincinnati next week, though. That's probably not going to go their way, but we'll talk <laughs> about that more in the preview episode. Uh, yes. One last game to get through here, and it's, I hate to do it to you, Tulsa 20, Tulane 13. <laughs> I can't. I just Julian like my heart can't take it. Should have won this game. Yeah. Homecoming. Uh, so Tulsa had like a 13 to three lead late in the game. Tulane managed to get a comeback, including recovering an onside kick where they tied it at 13 all. Right. We all remember that. Tulsa yes. turns it over and gives Tulane a short field and basically an extra point length. Uh, miracle. Yeah. Merrick, right? That's the kicker's name. Merrick Glover. Yeah, Merrick, Merrick Glover. Glover. I, yep. I had it right. And he was, was on the hunt for the, I almost the school said Mer- record. Yeah, I almost said Merrick Garland, and I had to catch myself. It's, it's a whole <laughs> different course. thing. That's a whole different thing. Uh, <laughs> but no, he missed a 26-yard kick from that he was lined up right there. I can't even talk about it, Dan. I turned was, on the TV. I was not watching the game on purpose because it's too hard for me to do it. It's too hard. And, hey, and then finally... Picked Tulsa. I picked Tulane. My boyfriend goes, hey... They have a, you know, he's like, let's turn it on. Like they have a chance. And I was like, so excited that I turned it on. I'm not kidding you right before the kick. And he missed the kick. And I immediately, I threw the remote at my TV, turned it off and was like, 
is my fault. So I apologize, you know, Green Wave Nation. This yeah, is it's on me. Have to call Bully Fritz and personally apologize to him about this. I I will. Like I, te- you know, I texted some of the guys that I know, and I was like, listen. I'm so sorry. And honestly, a lot of the players I've talked to, I've talked to a few and they're just extremely frustrated. Like they don't even, and I'm, you know, I told everybody, I'm trying to get to the bottom of this. I'm talking to people around the program, trying to understand what it is that could make this talented team go one and nine. And really it's despondence is all I'm getting. The players are frustrated. They, they don't understand. They, they worked so hard. At at this point you're spiraling. Yeah. Yeah, they don't know. And I just, I don't have an answer yet, which I, it's crazy. I ask you, is it possible that having a new offensive and a new defense coordinator in the same season is just a lot of change at once? And add a really tough out of conference schedule and it just starts to get away from you quick. I asked the players that, especially on the offensive side, because losing, you know, um, uh, yeah, Will Hall. Sorry. Uh, thank you. Losing him was a big blow because he was the guy and everybody loved him and he was great. So Mm -hmm. I asked them that I said, you know, is this going to be a problem? And the players in the beginning of the year and and, in the preseason said, no, the chip long is specifically fit right in. He ran the same scheme. He was, you know, using the same stuff. So it was very hopeful in the beginning that that was not going to be the case, but I think we're seeing a very different story and the stuff with Pratt, Man, it needs to be addressed, and no one wants to talk about it, I, but it needs to be talked about. I, I think the Chip Long thing is interesting there because Chip Long, I've mentioned before on this show, was mm-hmm. the best offense coordinator Brian Kelly has had at Notre Dame by a pretty wide margin, just statistically. Yeah, he's not a bad coach. Yeah, took them, I don't understand. You know, took them to a playoff, you know, which they obviously mm-hmm. lost. But, like, uh, <laughs> there was yeah. – the reason he left, like I've mentioned before as well, is that there was always – and this is all rumors conjecture because Notre Dame is a very tight-lipped program about this kind of thing – was yeah. that he and other coaches didn't get along. And it was a well-known fact that he and Ian Book did not see eye-to-eye with one another. That uh, Interesting. Chip Long, well, I'll tell you what. Chip Long's a screamer in practice. He's a – you know, that's just style, the way some coaches are. The offensive line that yeah. loved him, mind you. They loved him because they responded to that. Ian Book did right. not. And Ian Book really responded to his quarterback's coach, Tommy Reese, who is now the OC at Notre Dame, oddly enough. Uh, yeah. You know, and there was a very, there was, don't get me wrong, Ian Book put up the, statistically the second best season quarterback in Notre Dame's ever had with Chip Long as his OC, but he did not get along with him. And I wonder how much Michael Pratt actually responding to his coaching style is that I agree the offense schematically should work a lot better than his Michael Pratt should have advanced a lot further than he has in a second season yeah. but it, there's a disconnect I'm just trying to like again I'm just connecting it to Notre Dame because I know Notre Dame pretty well and I know yeah. he, Ian Book did not get along at Notre Dame interesting so there there may be something there that's it's it's just every report that i've gotten but even is like, that he, there's even no issue with him michael pratt reminds me of ian book in terms of his style of play like his size uh you know obviously book did not force the ball the way pratt does but like how right. athletic they are you know the t- yeah. amount of arm strength they have those types of things really remind me of one another book was to a fault careful with the ball at times you know what i mean but yeah and that's the real difference between the two. But it makes me think like there should be a little bit closer like matchup to how, you know, to Pratt and Book than there is in terms of the results. But it's not there. Yeah. It's weird. Doesn't make any sense. And I don't understand it. But I mean, I guess credit to Tulsa for not, you know, giving up. <laughs> And basically, yeah, we're, we're ragging on Michael him. Pratt a little bit here. Davis Brennan was awful in this game. He was awful. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> he had like three interceptions. That was 
the Tulsa offense is not good. Like their yeah. running game should be better than it is. The running game's too inconsistent. Davis Brain, I don't believe, is a starter caliber quarterback. Yeah. Uh, their defense is hard to tell what's going on there at times. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's weird, but Tulsa could still end up bowl eligible. They're four and six right now. They need to win out. That's crazy. If I you look at the trajectory of their field, season, if I'm not it's... mistaken. I, I'd have to look. I don't have my thing up. in front. I don't have my schedule in front of me. Yeah, I don't. But it's wild looking. Yeah, I, unfortunately. I can okay, no, they've got. I, so, I have it. So that's too late. I want in Tulsa. <laughs> you clicked on the wrong one. Yeah. I bet I beat you to it. Here we go. Temple and yeah. SMU. So yeah. they do have Temple and then at SMU. Oh, yeah, we talked about that. I don't. I, I feel I knew like they that's had a game they could subject. weirdly win. I mean, they should be Temple. <laughs> like, so, like, if they're playing for ball yes. eligibility, if SMU is not playing for anything, who knows? Like, look yeah. what happened to SMU last year in the last game of the regular season against ECU. ECU blew them out. And yeah. that was an ECU team that wasn't playing for anything other than pride. Which you have to hand it to Coach Houston. Like, that seems mm-hmm. to be his MO. Yeah, no, he's a really good motivator. But, yeah, no, this, really was a, this was a frustrating game to watch, especially if you had picked uh, Tulane like I had. <laughs> or if you had devoted yourself to Tulane like you have. Like, you, like I have. <laughs> I know people uh, are going to be surprised that I actually picked Tulsa to win. No, but I you, just... I'll go with her. Last week you were 5-0. and oh, I was only 3-2. and two. Well, you this week I'm also 5-0. and oh, So. Oh, wow. We haven't even picked yet. So don't know how that happened. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Last week. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, that's I, what I, was I was thinking this, the week that we're talking about. Yes. yes. But the week before, week 11, you I also beat you. But like, yeah, but that was like by one, wasn't it? I don't have that in front of me. Uh, okay. No, How wait, many weeks week, in a row have I won now? Week, I think like three. Two. No, because we tied week nine at four and one. Okay, well, I'm I'm, all, I'm making a comeback. Now. Don't call it a comeback, but it is. Yeah, yeah you you won by one last week because SMU lost to Memphis. That's the week Well, I'll take thing. it. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm still at 55 and 22 while you're at 46 and 31, so you're running out of time. But like, okay, you're running out of time. You, you waited too long to start picking. I know to, to be good, but that's <laughs> that's my that's the story of my life. Of course, Dan, you know, I, I picked so. Tulane this week, so I got you back for at least one. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, it's tough. You know, like I said, and I I don't need to like gloss over Tulsa and Sultan because, like I said, they can still be bowl eligible. And you know, in a way, we should all be rooting for that because we want to see teams in this conference as, have as much success as possible. But they're yeah. just such a weird team to watch where I can never quite get a gauge on what they are. And it frustrates yeah. me to watch them because of that. And that's maybe not fair to them that because I can't tell what they are, I get upset at them, write them off a little bit, but it's true. Yeah, like, but it's fair. I mean, I think that's fair. Like if you can't give us an accurate description of what you're doing or a representation, then then I can't jump on board. Yeah. Like, well, like last year you said that's a really great defensive team that doesn't enough on offense you know what i mean yeah this year yeah. they don't really do enough on offense and they're not a great defensive team but they're also like their identity is trying to be similar to what it was last year and it's just yeah you know, it bothers me that philip montgomery is an offensive guy by his origin who has never really been able to find a consistent quarterback there like yeah you're in tulsa just there's so many quarterbacks in texas that you can dip into and grab and if you're Philip Montgomery, you have contacts in Texas. You were at Baylor. Like, you know people yeah. in that area. You can find someone. You know, 
uh, Zach Smith last year, he was a transfer from the Big 12, and he was fine, but he also never played the good first half all season last year. I just yeah, their their offense is what frustrates me. I guess is really what it I comes down to is that they should be better in my head, but they never are. Uh, they should, and that's my own fault for thinking they should be good. But <laughs> you're an eternal. Well, you're not actually, but with certain things, you are eternal optimist. Oh yeah. So yeah, I mean, it but is this is why. <laughs> It is what it is now. You think Luke Fickle is getting himself a big boy job at LSU? No, I don't. I am so tired. Of, I don't know. <laughs> the I really don't. Talk. I, no, it's, I mean, no, mostly it's mostly Luke Fickle talk and Cincinnati talk. Like I, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know that he's proven that he, he can finish things. Like, I don't, I don't yeah. know. I don't trust him. I don't know what it is, but I just don't trust mm. him. I don't know why. He looks a little bit like one of my uncles. And for that reason, I've always said this weird <laughs> thing about him. But no, I think he's a great coach. I, just I think, think it's the deep tan. Where does he get that tan if I'm he's sure. working so hard coaching? Is he's he going to tanning <laughs> He gets spray tans at his house. I think he gets a spray tan or a booth <laughs> or something. And so I was I'm like, say, I don't it's, trust it's that. officially November in Cincinnati for him. Yeah. And there should be no reason that you have that deep of a tan, sir. So I don't. Like, I mean, he probably spends a lot of time every day outside on a practice field at the very least. Okay. But, but then, but there are other I, coaches do that too. And they're not tan. So I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm, you know, maybe. Appreciate you for, for trying. No, I mean, it is what it is. We've got, yeah. like I said, this coaching carousel though, it's got me thinking that I think someone in the AAC is going to be on the move at some point, just because there's so many people moving. I can't. Yeah. Get it out of my head that no one's going to come for someone like, you know, Sonny Dykes, he's still sitting on that extension, which he should. I'm telling you, Sonny Dykes is not going anywhere. Uh, The TCU thing, though. Uh, I know that one. I can I can almost be positive. I've talked to what if Dave Aranda leaves for USC? Because I'm hearing his name for that a lot. Then Baylor's open. That's another job in Texas that you'd be looking at. You know, like no way Sonny Dykes is touching Baylor. No shot. You never know. You never know. We don't. That's true. The more that we know, the less that we know. You know, like like I said, Mike Houston makes sense to a lot of teams in that mid-Atlantic region. Uh, you know, who knows? You know, really even knows. like Gus at UCF, like that's a huge name if a team wants to go huge name. So, yeah. you know, from everything I've seen with Gus, he wants to stay at UCF and build it where it's a little bit less pressure than going back to the SEC would be. You know, yeah. But like at the same time, money talks. Money yeah. talks. Yeah. You know, who knows? I guess that's what I mean is who knows, but I just, it's going to be such a wild cycle. I can't imagine the conference goes unaffected. Yeah. I'm sure there will be something, but I just don't know if it's going to be as drastic as you think it is. Yeah. That's all. UMass lost to we'll Maine 38 see. to 10. What? UMass lost to Maine 38 to 10. Yeah. I, I just need to throw yeah. that out there so that everyone knows. I wasn't going to bring it up, but if you want to talk about it, then. Yeah. I don't. It was bad okay. from the start. They got, they got, <laughs> uh, here's what I'll say. They let up 38 unanswered to an FCS school yeah. on their home field out a week after losing to a different FCS school on homecoming. So no, I'm not thrilled with it. You know what I'm also not thrilled with though, is that mm-hmm. everyone in the UMass community seems to want Don Brown to be the head coach. I hate that. Why do you hate that? Because it's a redux hire. He was the coach yeah. from like 2000 two to 2008 something like that he took them to an fcs championship game that they lost app state uh you know and he was great there but he's on the back end of his career he's on the older side it would be a retirement job for him i don't want a coach who's taken as a retirement job 
Yeah. You know, and a lot of new mass fans want, and like, this is like three years after they had hired Mark Whipple for the same reason. Because Whipple yeah. had won the 1998 national championship at New Mass and came back and it was like, oh, good, we've got Whipple to appease the boosters. And because like he'll turn around, he knows how to win here. And he didn't because he <laughs> doesn't. And it was a retirement yeah. job for him in a lot of respects, you know? Yeah. And I just, it frustrates me that that's immediately what people want again. And I get, you know, since they've been to FBS, two hot, you know, quote unquote, hot shot offense coordinators have really failed as head coaches at UMass. That's uh, Charlie Molnar and Walt Bell now. But I just want more creativity to it. I want Bob Chesney. I don't think I'm getting well, maybe, Bob Chesney. Maybe uh, that's what you'll get for Christmas. Liam, Liam Cohn has already <laughs> said no, apparently. Oh, okay. <laughs> Liam Cohn, who was a UMass quarterback under Don Brown, you know, the mm-hmm. OC at Kentucky now, for those who may not know. But I like that they go after someone. I've always believed in guys that played and guys that understand the program as people you should go after for, for, you know, basketball and football, like guys that understand what it takes to play there are going to understand how to build it better. You know, they did that for basketball recently too with Derek Kellogg and, you know, it was better than what they have now, but that was tough. <laughs> Kellogg had played under yeah. Calipari, but you know, I'm, I'm nervous about that hire because I don't think they're going to get who they want, but it is what it is. Yep. <laughs> What a week. Uh, I can't believe we're two weeks away from the end. This is nuts. Right. That's coming up quick. That happened very, very quickly. Um, it really did. Yeah. Still four teams alive in the AAC, though. Mostly two, though, in terms of the conference <laughs> championship. Which right. really, and we, this is another thing, and I don't mean to extend it too long here, but like we need to normalize making conference championships and not the playoff the goal again. We need to get back. Yeah. To that. We get to back yeah. to that space where that's your goal and not, you know, as the playoff isn't realistic for, most teams in the country, frankly, it's you know, not, a lot yeah. of power five teams, it's not realistic for look where Wake Forest was ranked for, you know, the longest time, even though they are unbeaten in the same conference, Clemson gets ranked number one for being unbeaten. Your right. the sticker on your helmet matters a lot for that stuff. And it does. In the AAC, I think we just need to sit back and accept that, hey, you're not getting in most likely. I know Cincinnati's number five right now, and if things break the right way, they might get forced in, you know what I mean? Just because... I don't think you can put two lost teams in ahead of them. I don't. Yeah. But, you know, I think you just need to make conference championships the goal, making a bowl game the goal instead of having such a playoff-centric discussion about the sport. Yeah. Uh, anyways. I agree. That's my one thing for just right now. You know, six wins is an accomplishment. Look at ECU. That's a great thing for them. Ten wins is great. Yeah. Even if you don't win the conference, look at what SMU has a chance to do or what Houston might be doing. Uh, anyways, though. I think that's all we have to go through today, unless you've got yep. anything burning inside. Nope, I am good. Awesome. All right. Well, you can find me at Dan underscore Morrison 96. You can find me at MLM, E-M-I-L-N-E-M on Twitter and Instagram. All right. And we're off. Bye.